Growler Media presents Joe vs. the Minute. Welcome back to Joe vs. the Minute, where we are taking you to the volcano one minute at a time. I'm Jarf, and I'm with you here in the American Panoscope studios. To my right is my co-host, Tierney. Hello, Tierney. Hello, Jarf. You know... I take umbrage with the fact that we call our studios that because I am very excited to be on this boat. So I am Tierney Steele, boat from Joe vs. the Volcano fan. And today we are joined by someone. I don't know where he stands on the boat. I guess we'll find out this minute. Welcome, James. Thanks, Tierney. So where are you joining us from? I am joining you from the lovely little town of Acton, Massachusetts. I am right nearby. I Well, relatively right nearby. I'm in Boston. And you hail from a podcast that has talked about Joe versus Volcano? Or am I mixing you up? You're mixing me up. This is oh. actually my first podcast <gasps> ever. Oh my goodness. Welcome. He wrote a, a lovely blog post about Joe versus a Volcano. That's and that, I believe, is what you were thinking I of. was like, you have prior Joe versus a Volcano knowledge. I'm sure of it. I just couldn't. I've only seen the movie about 50 times. Nice. I really liked the blog post you wrote, which is obviously why we were like, let's get you on here. Specifically today, we're going to hone in on minute 58 of the movie. It starts with Joe calling out that Patricia was rude to him earlier, and it ends with Patricia giving Joe the rundown of the sleeping arrangements on the boat. But in between, there's plenty to talk about, and we can certainly talk about things outside this minute, but the premise of our podcast is we talk about one minute of the movie at a time. So we'll we'll hone in on these 60 seconds, but if your notes go abroad, feel free. Sure will. I just want to give an overarching appreciation for the fact that as we record right now, the light of a beautiful big full moon is shining into the studio windows. And that is certainly a Joe versus the volcano mood. That is. So actually, I think it's going to be a um, lunar eclipse tonight. So Is that true? I'm not certain, but I heard that somewhere. So wow. I m- might be wrong, but... I mean, I know I just met James, but I don't see that he has any reason to lie to us. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I could be wrong about many things. (laughs) Your lunar heart is in the right place. So this starts with Joe, I put it as calling out Patricia. He asked why she was so rude to him. And I'm very fascinated by this back and forth between them because she is still being rude to him. And he's very much like, all right, guess if you're going to be that way. And I think we'll have different feelings by the end of this week. Eyebrow raising. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the, the way to look at this minute, I think, is that Patricia is lying to herself. I think of this question, why uh, why did you talk to me so snotty back on the dock that Joe asked Patricia? And I'm thinking of Patricia hearkening back to Waturi's behavior at the beginning of the movie and how he was never able to ask that of Mr. Waturi. And I was wondering you know, what, what it would be like if uh, he did ask that. That is an excellent contrast to draw, James, because that 
That's what I had in my notes, that I observed Joe's increased confidence in the way that he is confronting Patricia about the way she talked to him and just asking outright, why did you talk so snotty to me from the dock? And so it's a nice marker of how his character has progressed, that he's able to say that. Yeah, and he also doesn't let Patricia get away with lying to him. He knows that Patricia is lying. When he's, when she says, because you work for my father, and I'm angry with my father. That may be true, but that's not the reason. He knows that it's not all right, that he knows Patricia's lying. He's not face, facing the nature of what she's doing. And that's what gets her to admit that her role was not as really as a favor to her father, but it was just another business transaction where she's doing it for the boat. Mm-hmm. And I love her eyes as she's saying it in this later part of this conversation where she's like, well, he's got two of them. But if you watch what she's doing with her face and her body, you can see how uncomfortable. And I I think the way you put it of she's lying to herself and it's almost like she catches herself in the lie and decides to just push through. Yeah, I think um, there's obviously something that's troubling her at this in this minute, because if you think about it, who wouldn't want to sail to the South Pacific in this lovely boat? And <laughs> especially given, you know, given that they are getting this boat, I, I looked it up. I looked up some things and the um, the boat is called the Spike Africa which is a 70-foot, two-masted schooner. I don't know how much it would cost in today's dollars, but looking at some other similar ships, I'm thinking it's around the $500,000 range. And I think you think of that, and I'm thinking that Joe might respond to her saying, well, she, he's going to give me this boat, saying, wow, you got a better deal than I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 500 grand. Insert yeah. Hawkeye whistle there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Joe didn't, you know, if you summed up everything Joe bought, even even his luggage, that I don't think it would come anywhere close to the cost of the Tweedledee. Yeah, I like that Joe's response is a wow, and she tries to kind of toss it off. And I, I do think it harkens back to that. She doesn't want to be having this conversation. <laughs> She's trying to keep it very light and very like, oh, we're not going to get into this. But her her awkwardness gives her away. And I've always been very confused by what she does at the end when she like dips her pinky in something. Well, I, I looked at that and I think it's Joe's wine. I'm not sure if it's her wine or Joe's wine, but I think it's Joe's wine, which is an incredible power move. I mean, it's to me, yeah. <laughs> to me, it's like Patricia is saying, hey, you cannot be rude to me on this boat. This is my boat. Or it will be after I sail you somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So she's she's like, I'm in charge here. You have to be nice to me now. God, you're right. What a power. But she looks so awkward and not powerful when she does it. She undercuts that so much with her physical, like, her response. She's almost, like, shrinking at the end of that. Well, she's, she's obviously very nervous about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the sort of thing where she knows she's in the wrong there, but mm. she can't yet get herself to admit why she's in the wrong. And it'll come up in the next few minutes as to yeah. what's going on. But this minute, you know, we're not really sure why she's doing what she's doing. You know, it's funny because when I was growing up, I always, like, I enjoy the conversation they're going to have later this week, you know, the, or at the beginning of this week, but the whole conversation. But as I got a little bit older and started thinking about it from like a writer's point of view and everything, I was like, 
wow, this comes out of nowhere, but it doesn't. Now that I'm looking at this minute in this way, you do see all that groundwork laid of, uh, now you can almost see her thinking like, oh, crap, now I'm thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did this guy have to ask me why I was rude to him? It really undercuts or or it demonstrates something wrong between Patricia and her father that she can't just say, well, you want me to sail to the South Pacific and in exchange I get a $500,000 boat? Sure thing. That sounds great. Yeah. Obviously something is awry that she's being so cagey about it. Yeah. I have a question about Patricia here. On one level, she's self-aware enough to realize she lashed out at Joe because she's angry with her father. But as you both said, on another, I guess you can say deeper level, she hasn't quite confronted all of her emotions. What I'm wondering is, since this is the beginning, really, of Joe and Patricia's relationship, what do you think it is about Joe that gets Patricia to open up? Well, I don't think it's in this minute. I think there's something about Joe, obviously. Joe is obviously soul-sick also. And I think at some point, Patricia has to realize that Joe is somebody that she can talk to or that she needs to talk to. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because a lot of this is coming up in the next minutes or minute or two. But she, let me think about that for a little bit. So soul-sick recognizes soul-sick. Yes. Yeah, and at this point, I don't think she realizes that. Like we were saying, she's she was prepared to basically be rude to this person on the dock. I mean, she planned this dinner. She's hosting him, essentially, on the boat. But I think if Joe weren't Joe, and obviously meant to be with Patricia... I don't think she would have opened up to him. I think they would have had a dinner. She would have told him about the Waponi Woo. She obviously was prepared with her book. And then that person would not have asked her why she was rude on the dock. They would have, you know, never confronted her on it. And here's a guy who, my name is Joseph or Joe, her. (laughs) And there's a little part of her. You're right. It's the beginning of the relationship. She's not quite sure what the feeling is but it's a positive one and you know every time she starts to relax around this guy and be like oh well it's fine i'll just keep doing what i'm doing he calls her on it something comes up that makes it super awkward again and makes her think more deeply about what she's doing and part of that is incredibly uncomfortable and let's face it i think anyone who's been in an adult relationship has had that moment where you're like i don't like you because you're making me think about things i don't want to think about right now but also i love you because i need to think about those things dang it (laughs) (laughs) well she's in a position right now where um you know on the dock she says she does what she wants and now she's in a position where she's not doing what she wants she doesn't want to confront what you know what she's doing for her father she doesn't want to confront that she basically agreed to this business transaction she doesn't want to confront joe she just wants to sail away from the things of man <sighs> sorry every time okay. it gets sad i get very excited <laughs> <laughs> I can appreciate that. And and you know what? It's important to recognize that there are many steps along the journey. You can be incredibly self-aware in one area of your life and still be figuring a lot of different things out. Yeah. You don't go from zero to a hundred in one day or one therapy session or one whatever. Like, there are these little bits. She's obviously, we're going to see given this some thought before. 
And yeah, I think I'm going to have to steal that power move. Oh, I know how to end this conversation. Pinky dip in the wine. (laughs) (laughs) Word to the wise to anyone else drinking with tyranny at the next (laughs) Movies by Minute conference. (laughs) Watch watch your drinks. So so I'm going to pivot us from the psychological to the nautical because we did get finally the reference by name to the second boat, which never appears, the Tweedledum to our Tweedledee. I, I, it made me just have to, I know that this is my soapbox, but I want to ask our new guest, do you think, because as you may know, this second boat in the original script was going to appear in the third act and it was very dumb and so they scrapped it. So I feel like they should have changed the name because having a Tweedledee and then saying, oh, there's a Tweedledum, it's you're breaking the rule of the, what is it? You never introduce a gun in the first act. Chekhov's gun? Yes. Oh, that, yes. So you're breaking the Chekhov's gun rule, the Chekhov's boat. And I am biased because I think if you name your boat Tweedledee, it sets up this, well, he's got two of them line perfectly. Mm, and I, I think see. it says a lot about Patricia's father that he has these two boats, the Tweedledee and the Tweedledum. And we never see him. Well, I guess he has the pipe with the mermaid on it, but like he's not sailing them himself. Right. Okay. So it at least serves the purpose of the boat is expendable from Grainamore's perspective. All right. Uh, I'll buy that. So in addition to that, do you see any extra symbolic benefit to going with Tweedledee, Tweedledum, making some kind of... That's Alice in Wonderland, right? Yes. Yes. So do you think they're going for a, a down the rabbit hole vibe? This is a fairy tale, but it's not. it's not really an Alice in Wonderland type of fairy tale. Well, it kind of is. I have to disagree with you there, Jarf. I think you start out this movie, you start out the movie with the most mundane of circumstances. Joe's job is just utterly, utterly horrible. And then there's a progression that goes along to things that are progressively less mundane and more fantastical. I think, you know, we can imagine going on a shopping spree in New York, but that's still more fantastical than Joe's job. And then going out to Los Angeles and looking down on the stars, that's more fantastical, I think, than the shopping spree in New York. And Hmm. now here we are on this boat and Joe remarks on it, I think in an, in an earlier minute, or maybe it's a late, I think it's a later minute when he says, I can't get used to this. This is amazing. And it's, it's a surreal environment. Uh, And then from beyond there and spoiler alert, they go on to this raft made out of four, uh, this set of four luggage trunks. And that is truly surreal that I don't think anyone can really understand what that's like. And then, of course, it goes beyond that to the Pony Woo, which is just really out there and a society that we are definitely looking at from the outside. So it is very much a, you know, down the rabbit hole type thing. And I think if you wanted to say that Pony Woo is Wonderland, I wouldn't argue with you. I think there's also an imagery parallel to be made between the volcano jumping and the off with her head yeah. trial madness thing. Yeah. It's been a while since I watched uh, Alice in Wonderland, but we all 
No, the jest. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, I'm digging the thesis. It's been a while since I've watched Alice in Wonderland as well. And the aspect of it that I don't really remember is if it gets progressively weirder. I know when separated from the text, when they just say, oh, we've really gone down the rabbit hole, it's... I always see that as things went from normal to now they're really weird. And there was this weird under layer that you didn't know about. Yeah, I'm not sure if Alice in Wonderland follows the uh, same thing. I think it, I, if I remember it clearly. It, You're right. It, it does it, get it, weird real weird. quick. Yeah, it's sort <laughs> of like right away the world's gone mad. Yeah, whereas this is just getting progressively weirder. But I think I think there's still something to it. I I think yeah. I think maybe Wizard of Oz might be a closer parallel for based on what you said about going from the mundane to the fantastical. I have a very mundane movies by minutes observance before we move away from this dinner scene. Have there always been so many wind chimes in the background of this scene? <laughs> Because, my goodness, when you're just watching this minute, I was very aware of the Foley work happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I think, is a wonderful thing about this movie is that you can watch it over and over. And every time you watch it, you see something new like that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a wonderful scene. It's just a wonderful image. And maybe it was just starting off on a Monday. Like, maybe yeah. if I had done this back-to-back with our Friday Minute, it wouldn't have stood out to me so much. But I was listening to him like, goodness gracious, there's a lot of background noise in here. And then, of course, it cuts to um, him in his bedroom and, like, you have the noise of the water and everything. And I was just like, ah, oh, they done good. Yeah, I was wondering, do you guys think there was a scene missing between those two? Because it, it seems like it jumps very quickly from where Patricia is doing her power move with the dip of her pinky and the wine to everything being nice and calm. And, you know, here's how, you know, here's how you operate the light or whatever it was. That's how I've always felt about this scene, but now that we're discussing how her power move fails and really what they've done is stir up this whole hornet's nest in her brain, I don't know. I I could definitely be convinced that there was something missing in between, but I do kind of like the idea, and I think uh, we're going to see it in the next minute. Right here, she's still being very practical, but the fact that she is kind of Her brain is working on several tracks at once that don't actually have anything to do with each other. And uh, as someone who has done that before, I very much relate to that. It's like, wait, what what are you talking about? Where did that come from? And it's like, I've been thinking about that for three hours, haven't you? I I do have one question uh, apart from that. I'm just curious as to what you guys think. Who do you think's older, Patricia or Angelica? Ooh. I think Patricia. Angelica definitely has middle sister energy. <laughs> I was going to agree with you, but I would not have come up with that. Wow. My bet, I, I was thinking it was Angelica that's older because Patricia to me seems like a uh, younger sister who resents Angelica's choices to remain dependent on their father. Mm. I'm going to go Patricia is older because of our next minute where she talks about her feelings about Angelica. That to me feels very much like someone who was kind of, I'm very biased because I'm an older sister and it's always that weird, like, I'm supposed to take care of you, but also you don't listen to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> like mm-hmm. you want to give them advice and help them, but you also can't really do anything about it because they are their own person making their own decisions. Right. Well, that makes sense. Also, they're half-sisters. Maybe Grainamore was incredibly inappropriate, and they're basically the same age. <laughs> Could be. But then I don't think uh, their moms would have been very thrilled with them, because they obviously kind of grew up together. What What is the story there? Because obviously they're twins. They can only be twins. <laughs> Actually, she's my half-sister. <laughs> Twin, twins from a different mother. Yeah. And so we're just supposed to accept that Graynamore's DNA is so powerful that that he always makes a Meg Ryan. You know what? Actually, I 100% buy that. Uh, There is a Steel family gene and the baby photos across four generations are like interchangeable. (laughs) That's wild. You need context clues. Now, we grow up and get some differentiation, but other than, you know, dyeing our hair red or not but (laughs) i definitely have seen families where i would buy sisters that look that alike well that that suggests a real rabbit hole of a problem of you know how does Dee Dee fit into all that oh oh we've come up with that i'm sorry have you Uh, those episodes haven't aired yet okay obviously Dee Dee is the lost love child of grainamore he was very (laughs) naughty while on a business trip in new york city and he never knew she existed and she never knew he existed but she's clearly got the grainamore dna going on i believe it and and honestly it perfectly fits the character of him as far as we've seen I like this concept of the strong steel DNA, and now I'm imagining that we've met you, the Patricia Steel, and somewhere out there, there's an Angelica and a Dee Dee Steel. All the other family members I know are boys, so at least, we, oh no, I'm lying. All right, never mind. What were you going to say, James? <laughs> I was, uh, I was just thinking. I was uh, moved by the notion that you, you saw this as a kid when you were six and wanted to be Patricia. It was incredibly shallow. <laughs> I mean, I am not going to sit on my high horse and claim that I understood the conversation she is about to initiate with Joe. Because at the end of this minute, she's just giving him the like, hey, how's it going? Sleeping arrangements. And there's that little bit of like nervous energy, but you're not really sure why yet. Mm-hmm. I love, you know what? Actually, I'll, I'll save it with uh, with his reading. Yeah, it was incredibly shallow. Even in this minute, I'm looking at them like, I want that sweater, even though I know that I've had sweaters like that. That's not what they looked like on me, but I still want that sweater. (laughs) (laughs) It looks so cozy. And I love this room. I Anyway, I digress, as usual. (laughs) I think we've done a good job of setting up Wednesday's minute. Did either of you have anything else that you wanted to say about minute 58? Um, other than to talk a little bit about the boat, I think it's, you know, there's a scene, there's a, just this spot for two seconds. You look at this boat and it's absolutely magnificent. That's right. That's right. Sort of between the, con- the conversation and then in the bunk, you do get that beautiful shot of the Tweedledee. It's something that, uh, it's a boat you can actually sail on up in northern, in Washington state. They have charters on that boat. Field trip. Perhaps we have to relocate the American Panoscope studios to there, and and that would be more satisfying to you, Tierney. I'm not opposed. <laughs> <laughs> it would certainly be a little further away from the things of man. 
<laughs> I just have to work on this because I have podcasted from for this show for from the Pierre Hotel in New York City, and I I gotta get out to LA. I'm postponing. I was supposed to go out this February, and I'm gonna postpone it for a little bit. But I have to do that, and then eventually, Jar, if you and I can go surfing in Hawaii, and we'll have fulfilled all our podcast goals. Nice. That we, uh, and don't dreamed worry. up in our teaser. <laughs> I still haven't seen Jaws, so I'm still unsullied. <laughs> you just have to find a rich industrialist to pay for it all. They give you the gold cards and things like that. I know, right? Yeah. We're doing a lot of psychological work through doing this podcast. I think we're ready. There you go. I think so. But yeah, I'm definitely, I'm good with this minute. I'm sorry. I know we've moved on to talking about Wednesday quite a bit already. No need to apologize. I'm glad that we have it nicely teed up. But before we wrap up, for today, James, did you want to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Sure. On Twitter um, and Instagram, I am Absurdly James. Yeah, well, but what's your handle? Absurdly. <laughs> 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 um, Big Fozzy energy from Tyranny today. <laughs> My website is kazarak.com, which uh, hosts the uh, the books I've written that I'm sort of a writer in the same way that Angelica is a uh, painter and a poet. So I have um, a few books there. It's K-A-S-E-R-A-A-K.com. Is there one book in particular that you'd like to shout out? Maybe something that are particularly proud of or that you've worked on recently or people can expect coming out soon? Well, the thing that I've, um, I think is most relevant to this movie, I think Joe versus the Volcano was a movie that John Patrick Shanley obviously wanted to make. This was his movie very much. And my uh, most recent book, uh, The Elven Comedian, was something that I really just wrote for myself. And I said, this is the book I want to write. I and mean, it's combination fantasy and comedy. It's a fun book. Well, now that Jarf has asked you to identify your favorite of your children, which is how I always think of writer's books, uh, maybe on Wednesday we'll make you choose your favorite Meg Ryan. Sure thing. A real psychological delving. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I like Patricia's clothes and bow. I can't even <laughs> pretend. But yeah, that sounds good. And Jarf, where do they find us on the internet? So they can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> I know how to say it, at Joe versus Minute. And they can join our private Facebook group if you're still on Facebook, the Joe versus the Minute listeners luggage raft. And I'll tell you, we've got some really exciting plans, plans to relocate the studio. We're going to learn a little bit more about James later this week. So until then, listeners, where to now, Tierney? Away from the things of man, of course. Away from the things of man. Pinky dip. (laughs) 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 We're going to regret making that a thing. (laughs) Now I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go when the volcano blows. Let me say now I don't know. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.